It was a bizarre email from one of my dearest friends from my time in the military. He was my company commander when I was a platoon leader back in the 1980s. He was influential in bringing me into being a North Korean analyst uh, for the military in my last part of my last 10 years of my military career. And he sent me a note and said, hey, I know you've been out of the military for a while, uh, but there's a, a gal who is putting together talking points for President Trump to meet with Kim Jong-un. And she's got some questions and I think you would be a great guy to answer those questions. Well, I reminded him that I'd been out of, of the great game for quite some time. He said, it doesn't matter, you can answer these questions. I said, it's gotta be at an unclassified level because I don't have you know, any cool phones that I can speak into. Uh, to encrypt. And he, he said, nope, it's no problem. It's all unclassified. So I, I set up a time to talk with this gal and we had a great conversation. It was supposed to be like 30 minutes and it turned out to be almost an hour. And at the end of the conversation, she asked me a question. She said, if you could say anything to President Trump right now and his national security advisor about meeting with North Korea, what would you say? <laughs> oh, I got an opinion about everything. And I told her, I said, come on, you know I'm opinionated. She said, no, 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 seriously, if you could say anything. I said, okay, here's what I would say. Over the past few decades, it seems like we've been doing the same thing and trying to get different results. And it seems like we've had basically two courses of action, two options that we've been pursuing. Option number one has been a Cold War mentality, economic sanctions, a, a, a force buildup in the region. You, you match force with force. And there's something to be said about that when you're dealing with North Korea. And, and it's actually worked pretty well. But then there's also a second option, especially since Kim Jong-un now has a nuclear capability. We've had a handful of hawks wanting to do a, 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 a surgical strike, take out those nuclear facilities and, and do a regime change. And the problem with that is there are millions of deaths on your hands and a, a possible world war following that. Nobody wants that to happen. I said, what if there was a third option? And that third option is manage the tension of what's going on on, on the peninsula with, with keeping that Cold War mentality, but also adding to it a, a, a high level of diplomacy. In fact, diplomacy at the highest levels to have meetings between uh, President Trump and Kim Jong-un. Now I share that with you, not to say, hey, President Trump met with, with Kim Jong-un because of my recommendation, that's not true at all. I share that with you to ask a question. Have you ever considered that too often in life we tend to approach issues and problems as either or, A or B, Republican or Democrat, Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady, pumpkin spice latte or drip coffee? When in reality, and, and, and it's, there's a truth there that a lot of times when we come into problems and face problems and face issues, there's a very clear A or B. But more often in life, there's a third option. And that third option is messy. That third option is the tough right option. Let's, let's talk about that in matters of faith. Over the past couple of decades or so, a handful of decades, it seems like the church predominantly has two options out there. A very legalistic option where you stand on God's word and it's more of an us for no more mentality. And then you've got the very grace-filled option, which is amazing, but you water down the gospel for fear of offending. What if there is a third option that God's calling us to? Such is what we're gonna talk about today. In fact, if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. God is calling us as a church and as Christ followers to, to, have, uh, to have option three 
And option three is embrace the gospel and swim in murky waters. Embrace the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and swim in murky waters. Because when you do this, it's all about relationships. Relationships are tough. I wanna be very, very clear as I start out today's teaching. Here at Cornwall Church, we stand on biblical truth, but we never, never, never divorce biblical truth from biblical love. We marry biblical truth and grace. We're gonna be talking about that today. God's got a lot to say about that as actually we step into a a letter from Paul to a guy I had never really spent time looking at. I've always skipped over this letter and I've gone to the big boys of scripture, you know, Hebrews, the gospels, things of that nature. But it's a letter from Paul to this guy named Philemon, Philemon. It's a very short letter. It's 25 verses long in English, 335 words long in Greek. It's been used to oppose slavery and it's been used to uphold slavery back in the day. It's an incredible story and one that applies to us today. It applies to our main idea. So turn in your Bibles to this book of Philemon. It's two thirds of the way into the New Testament. You'll probably have to go to your table of contents to find it. Let me set the scene for what's going on. I always want us to go back 2000 plus years ago to where Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, he's buried, and he's resurrected. It's the most important event in history. Now, fast forward 30 years from that. Uh, The apostle Paul is in prison, most likely in Rome. Now, Paul's in prison in Rome and he's visited by this guy named Onesimus, Onesimus. In your Bible, it looks like one Simus, but it's pronounced Onesimus. Say it with me, Onesimus. Onesimus shows up. He's a runaway slave from a town called Colossae. And he's run away from his master, Philemon, Philemon. This is a letter from Paul to Philemon. So Philemon's the master. Onesimus runs away. He ends up in Rome. Paul receives him. He converts him to be a a, a Christian. And then he's gonna send Onesimus back to Philemon, back to Colossae. But he's like, hey, I'm gonna give you a letter so hopefully Philemon won't kill you when you show up. That's the gist of the story. But there's so much more to this story. It applies so much to us. It's the gospel applied to a tough situation. It's counterculture. It's all countercultural. So as we step into it, remember our main idea, embrace the gospel, swim in murky waters. Here we go, Philemon verses one and two. Paul kicks it off. He says this. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, underline those two words, fellow worker, that's important, to Apphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So right up front, we get introduced to Phil. Uh, Phil seems like a, a rich guy because he has slaves. That's important. If he has slaves, that means he has money. We're gonna talk about that. He probably has a very large house because he is a leader in the church of Colossae. Back in those times, people didn't meet in church buildings. They met at their homes, kind of like what we're doing right now. So Philemon has people coming to his house. He's got a big house and most likely he is the pastor of this church. Why do we say that? We say that because Paul refers to him as a fellow worker or a coworker. It's the same Greek word that he uses when he talks about Mark, Timothy, Titus, any of those other pastors that he mentions in scripture. Most likely 
Apphia is his wife. And if she's his wife, that means she's not only in charge of the property, but she's also in charge of the slaves. And most likely Archippus is his son. And with him being his son, that means he is in charge of the finances. That's important in our story because Paul writes, first of all, to Philemon as an individual and then to Philemon's family. If there's a runaway slave issue here, and there is, then Apphia needs to be involved with that conversation since she's in charge of the slaves. And I think, and and we're gonna see that Onesimus most likely stole money from Philemon. So it makes sense that Archippus is involved with this. So Paul kicks it off. He sends this letter to Philemon, to his family, to the church in Colossae, and then he sends it also to us because God's word is timeless. So he kicks it off saying, I'm a prisoner, I'm stuck like a slave. Verse three, he gives his usual greeting. Look at this. Verse three, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, underline, circle, put stars around that word grace because it's very, very important. This letter is all about that grace, about that grace, grace, grace. We're gonna come back to this towards the end of today's teaching. But Paul kicks it off and he says, Philemon, my brother, grace to you, but we got some stuff to talk about. Verses six or verses four through seven. Paul continues. He says, I always thank God as I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers, because I hear that your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love and for your love for all the saints. So it looks like Philemon's a good guy. Paul continues. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. So by all accounts here, Philemon's not only a good guy, but he's doing what Jesus tells us to do. He's loving God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he's loving others as he wants to be loved. So Paul goes from this drive-by loving to a drive-by guilting. And here, remember, remember what Paul's doing. Onesimus is a runaway slave, and Paul is gonna send him back to Philemon with a letter of endorsement. So uh, let's continue on, verses eight through 10. Paul says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then as Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son, my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. So Paul does this drive-by guilting. You know, he's like, hey man, I can order you to do the right thing, but you know, I'm just an old man. I just, you know, I'm gonna write half the New Testament. Um, I had that face-to-face with Jesus, you know, blinded by the light, it's all I could do. He was a savior in the night. Have you ever met Jesus face-to-face, Phil? Oh no, you haven't. And then he introduces us to Onesimus. Let's talk about Onesimus. His name means useful, and that's important in our story because what we're gonna see is Paul do a wordplay on his name, which means useful, and he's also a slave, and that's very important in our story. As I mentioned, he has run away from Colossae, he has run away from Philemon, and he ends up in Rome. Now, we don't know why he came to Rome, but we can, we can make a, a pretty good guess. For runaway slaves, Rome was the place to go. Not only is it a huge city and runaway slaves didn't have citizenship papers, but they could disappear in, in the woodwork, the proverbial woodwork, because you had free food and free entertainment in Rome. You could be taken care of in Rome. You could walk around there without papers. 
So he shows up in Rome. We don't know if he was looking for, for Paul uh, or if, if it was just by God's divine providence or a combination of the two. But he meets Paul and he's not a believer. How do we know that? It's because Paul says that phrase, he became my son. Some of your translations may say he was my child, he's begotten, whatever. Uh, the point is, is that Paul uses that phrase with people he's converted. So Paul does a word play. Verse 11, verse 11, he says, formerly he was useless to you, useless to you but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now remember, Onesimus' name means useful. And Paul is gonna ask Onesimus to live up to his name. But here's what's interesting. It's like he's inferring to Philemon. It's like, Phil, Onesimus, his name means useful. Dude, you have a, a meaning to your name too. And it means one who is kind, one who is kind. So if I'm going to ask Onesimus to live up to his name, I'm going to ask you, Philemon, to live up to your name, one who is kind. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what it means to be kind versus being nice, because it's very important not only in our story, but it's important for us in our lives as we walk with integrity as men and women of faith. Kind versus nice. It, it, being kind is doing the tough right thing when no one's looking. Being nice is all about taking care of your backside, about uh, being nice to someone because you want to get something from someone. Back in the 1990s, I was in special forces. I had an incredible commander. Uh, he would become Brigadier General Russ Howard. At that time, he was Colonel Russ Howard. And, and this guy was a special forces ranger, steely-eyed killer with a PhD from Harvard. So it, just an amazing man who changed my life. I got to work for him a couple times in my career. And he had this be kind philosophy. And here's basically his be kind philosophy, not only in special forces, but when I was with Academiacs teaching at West Point, he was uh, the guy I worked for there. And be kind is all about this. It's all about courageously speaking truth to someone instead of speaking about them behind their back. He would say that we're called to encourage others and encourage, the, the root word of encourage is courage. However, the opposite of that is flattery. Flattery, the root word is flat, because it's a flat out lie. Being kind is encouragement. Uh, being nice is flattery, because you're trying to get something from someone. He would say that if you biff it, if you screw up, you own it. As a leader of, a, of an organization, as a, a, a commander, you're responsible for everything your unit does or fails to do. So you own it, and you don't shift the blame to others. You speak those tough truths into people's lives. Someone's going through a divorce, you don't say, hey, it's all gonna be okay. Turn that frown upside down. No, tell them the truth. It's probably gonna get worse before it gets better, but I am your friend, your brother. I will walk with you through this. That's what being kind is all about. It's about talking face-to-face with someone you have a problem with, a fellow colleague, rather than going to your boss and saying, hey, I've got a problem with this person. Can you handle it for me? It's about doing the tough right thing when it could cost you greatly. And back to Philemon, one who is kind. Paul appeals to one who is kind, Philemon, to do the tough right thing for the useful one, Onesimus, even though it may cost him personally. He appeals to Philemon's integrity. Let's keep going, verses 12 through 14. Paul writes, I'm sending him Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. So Paul has developed this relationship with Onesimus. They are like this. Paul has converted him to Christianity and they're tight. He says, I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place, Philemon, and helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent. 
so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. So he says, I'm sending him a slave back to you, Philemon. Let's talk about slavery because slavery was universal at that time. You could not imagine a world without slavery at that time. And I think it's wrong for us to do what's called a teleological fallacy. That means when you impose your values to a culture, an ancient culture a few thousand years before. It was impossible to imagine a world without slavery at that time. Rome was large and in charge. The Roman Empire was large and in charge at that time. And there was an estimated 60 million slaves at that time. Half the Roman Empire were slaves. Now, there were different types of slaves. You had common laborers uh, as slaves, and those common laborers would go for about a year's wages on on the selling block, the auction block. But then you had professional slaves at the professional level. Those were teachers, those were lawyers, those were doctors, uh, accountants, businessmen and businesswomen. And they would go for up to 10 years wages. Slaves could own slaves. Slaves could buy their freedom. A slave owner could do anything he or she wanted to do to his or her slaves. Now, if a slave would run away, the, the, the slave owner would go to basically our version of a local magistrate and, and the slave owner would file a missing slave, I don't know, a missing slave report. Now, if, if someone found this missing slave and they knew the slave owner and they wanted to keep that slave, they could barter with the, the slave owner to keep that slave or they could take that slave back to the magistrate and have him or her repatriated back to the slave owner who would either kill them, torture them or both. A slave could be received by the person who found them, sometimes no questions asked. So Paul, back to Paul. Paul has two options here. Option one, option one is to keep Onesimus. Paul said, I'd like to keep him so he could be useful to me. Remember, Paul's a Roman citizen, so Paul has a right to have a slave. But here's the thing too, Paul's in prison, so that, there might be a legal issue. But I think that's a clear option. He can keep Onesimus. Option two, he could just send him back to Philemon. Good luck, Onesimus, sucks to be you. What we find is that Paul is gonna exercise that countercultural third option. He's gonna embrace the gospel and he's gonna swim in murky waters while asking Philemon and Onesimus to do the same. Over the next seven verses, we're gonna see why this letter is countercultural. Over the next seven verses, we're gonna see why this letter started, started reforming slavery from the inside of the institution out. Here we go, verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, perhaps the reason he, Onesimus, was separated from you, Philemon, for a little while was so that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave. Look at this, look at this, look at this. But better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and a brother in the Lord. See, Paul converted Onesimus. Onesimus comes to Paul. Paul accepts him right where he is and he converts him to Christianity. Now he's a brother in Christ. Don't miss this. As a brother in Christ, Paul's gonna send him back to Philemon because Philemon's gotta own his junk. He's gotta own that he stole money from Philemon, a fellow brother in Christ. Onesimus has to own that. And he's gonna go back and face the guns, but he's a brother in Christ And now then, Paul's saying, Philemon, you've got to receive Onesimus, not as a slave, but he's gonna cross that cultural boundary, that social boundary from being a slave to now being an equal. Guys, this is crazy. This is unheard of in this culture. 
Paul would write not only in Colossians, but in Galatians, that there's no slave or free Jew or Gentile, that we're all equal in Christ's eyes. Through Christ, Paul's transforming that horrible institution from the inside out. It's amazing. All in this little letter. Put yourself now in Onesimus' sandals. You run away from Philemon. We're gonna talk in a second about why we think, I think he stole money. You show up in Rome. Uh, you're not a believer and, and, and you meet Paul. And maybe you're looking for him, who knows? But you meet Paul and he, he accepts you right where you are. And now you're a Christ follower and you're convicted that you've wronged a brother in Christ and you gotta go back and face the guns. And yeah, he's got a letter from Paul, but guess what? Philemon may say, I don't care. I'm just gonna kill you. He has the right to do that. It takes courage to admit it when you're wrong and to make amends and to repent. Let's keep on going, verses 17 through 19. Paul says, so if you consider me a partner, if you consider me a partner, Philemon, welcome him as you would welcome me. Hang on just a second, let's press pause. Welcome him. You guys know I like to Greek out, I like to geek out. Let's talk about this word welcome. The word welcome in Greek is proslambano, proslambano. Say it with me, proslambano. Proslambano is a cool word. It means more than, than just welcome someone like, hey, come by, we'll have a few drinks, we'll kick back, have a few laughs, and you'll be on your merry way. Proslambano means to open your heart and receive someone to welcome them as you would welcome a dear family member. So Paul says, Phil, if you consider me your partner in Christ, you need to open your heart for Onesimus just as you would open your heart for me. And then this is why I think, I, I think next is why I think uh, Onesimus stole money from Philemon, and this is why I think Apphia, the, 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 the slave foreman, and Archippus, the guy that handles the finances, are mentioned in this letter. Paul writes, if he has done, done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. Charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. So he's authenticating his letter. He says, I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. Yet another good drive-by guilting. That's always fun. So Paul turns the screws and he says, do the tough right thing. If he's done anything, anything, charge it to my account. I will atone for what he's done. I will pay the price. If he's stolen any money, I got it. Charge it to me. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on this section said these words. He said, it takes more than love to solve a problem. Love must pay a price. Let me say that again. It takes more than love to solve the problem. Love must pay a price. I have fallen in love with this letter. And the reason why, because it's the gospel. It's the gospel according to Onesimus. Martin Luther would actually say that we are all Onesimus. Don't you see in this, the, 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 our story showing up that this is the gospel? Go with me on this. Philemon is a good master and he's got a slave and the slave sins against the master. He steals money. And now there's, there's a gap between the slave and the master. He needs someone to step in to take over and mediate, to take on the sin of the slave so the slave can be reconciled back to the master because the master didn't do anything wrong. So Paul steps in to pay the price. It's the same story as we have. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden and they biff it. And when they biff it, all evil enters the world. And now we're born with this thing called sin in our lives. We have this sin and we can't approach a holy master, a holy God. We need, because we're slaves to sin, we need 
a mediator, Jesus, who steps in and says, I'll go to the cross, I'll pay the price. You put their sin on my shoulders and I'll pay the price. He dies, he's buried, he's resurrected. Now that when we, when we receive Jesus as savior and Lord, we can approach a holy God because God looks at us and he doesn't see all of our stupid stuff in our lives. He sees Jesus, our sin is taken care of. Jesus pays the price. Jesus's love though does more than solve the problem. It pays the price in full. And the beauty about this, Paul receives Onesimus. He accepts him right where we are. Jesus does the same thing. He accepts us no matter what's going on in our life, no matter how stupid we've been, he accepts us right where we are. Gosh, I love this letter. Verses 20 and 21. Hope you guys are liking this. If so, click, click that heart. Let's see some, some hearts go up in the chat room. Verses 20, 21. This to me is the exclamation point of the letter. He says, I do wish brother Philemon that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Okay, benefit. Remember what Onesimus' name means. What is it? What is it? Useful, useful, beneficial. So he's playing on, on, that, 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 on Onesimus' name here. Uh, I do wish brother that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do, underline these two words, even more, even more, even more than I ask. This is where this letter goes. Paul is saying, welcome him as you would welcome me. Welcome him as an equal in Christ, but I'm asking you to do even more than that. Guys, look at this. The culture says, kill him. The gospel says, free him. Don't you see that? The culture says, kill him. He's a, he's a runaway slave. He needs to pay the price. But the gospel says, no, receive him and do even more. Set him free. Paul's saying, go the extra mile with your grace and your love. Exercise that third option. Embrace the gospel and swim in the murky waters. Because Phil, you're gonna have some murky waters to swim in. You're gonna have slave owners who are gonna be upset with you. Maybe even Aphia and, and, and Archippus are gonna be upset with you, your own family members, but you gotta do the tough right thing, pastor. Verse 22, Paul continues, and one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Well, this may seem like another Motel 6 moment, you know, hey, we'll leave the light on for you. That's not what he's saying. He, remember, welcome proslambano, welcome him as you would welcome me. In the Rome and Colossae culture, if you're gonna be a, a host, you're expected to, go, to do even more than what others would require. Paul then does his usual slew of personal requests and greetings, verses 23 and 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And you know, when I read this, usually I, when I hit these names, I'm like, blah, 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 let me get to the next thing. But I'm preparing the sermon, and it's like God clacked, uh, clocked me in the head with a two by four and said, no, you need to stop, because it's important to understand that Paul had genuine relationships with friends. And he had genuine relationships with people. And with Jesus in our lives, God has genuine relationships with us. Our story matters to him. No matter what's going on in your life right now, your story matters because he loves you. 
So let's talk about these five guys, not the guys that own the, the fast food joint. Let's talk just briefly about them because each of them has a story. Epaphras, he's a guy from Colossae. In fact, he's one of the, the founders of the church in Colossae. And most likely he is in Paul with Rome or in Rome and he's either in prison with him or he's one of his helpers because Paul is under house arrest. Paul, being in prison in Rome, it wasn't like he was chained to in a dungeon and rats are chewing on his eyebrows. It's not that at all. Uh, he was under house arrest. So Epaphras was probably helping him. So was Mark. Uh, Mark, we know him from the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's a, a big player in the book of Acts and a mover and shaker in the new church. Third guy, Aristarchus. Aristarchus comes from Thessalonica. He's one of the founders and, and movers of the church, uh, the Thessalonian church. I think he shows up uh, on Paul's second or third missionary journey. I'd have to look that up. But he's got a story. And then there's this dude named Demas. Demas, he shows up not only in this letter, but in the letter to the Colossian church. And he's spoken of favorably. Then all of a sudden, a few years later, he shows up in 2 Timothy chapter four, I think it's verse 10, where Paul's like, this dude, and he walked away from the gospel, embraced the world. He's dead to me. I spit on his grave. Okay, he doesn't say it in those words, but that's the gist. So Demas ends up being a dork. Last but not least is Luke. Luke, we know him as the writer of the gospel of Luke, the writer of the book of Acts. He was that physician that wasn't Jewish and uh, is, is a very dear friend of Paul's. The reason why I share all of that when you're reading scripture, don't blow over those names because they all have stories, just like you have a story and I have a story. Last verse, verse 25. Uh, Paul concludes with these, these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grace, 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 circle that, underline it, stars around it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He signs off his letters with something that has to do with grace because it's all about that grace, about that grace, grace, grace. Remember back in verse three, he kicked it off with grace and now he's ending it with grace. It's bookends of grace. And what I love about this story is this story applies to our lives. So now I wanna get very, very practical, not only for you as an individual Christ follower, but also for us as a church, because you can summarize this story in three words. Three words, acceptance precedes obedience. Acceptance comes before obedience. Acceptance precedes obedience. Think about this. Paul's in prison, Onesimus shows up, he's not a Christ follower. And what Paul could do is say, no, 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 stop right there. I'm not gonna have anything to do with you until you, you change your ways and you convert and then we can have a relationship. He didn't do that at all. He receives him right where he is. And then through his relationship with him, he, he points him to Christ. And then Onesimus is obedient. He understands he has to do the tough right thing. And he's gonna go back to Philemon. Acceptance precedes obedience. It's all about grace. That's what acceptance precedes obedience is about. But then you got the opposite of that. And that's obedience precedes acceptance. And that's all about legalism. And I wanna talk about that a couple of minutes because legalism is poison, poison. It's where you divorce biblical truth from biblical love and you just beat people with biblical truth. And folks here at Cornwall Church, I wanna be clear about two things. Number one is we will never divorce biblical truth from biblical, biblical love. The two are married together. We're gonna to preach those tough truths, but we are also gonna love in a, in, a, in a great and loving way. But also, we gotta declare war on legalism. We cannot put up with legalism here at Cornwall Church because it is a poison. 
Brian Loritz, one of my, my favorite pastors out there, he once said these words about legalism versus grace. He says, legalism says I'm good because what I do. Grace says I'm good because of what Christ has done. Legalism says I do, therefore I'm accepted and approved. That's obedience comes before acceptance. Grace, grace says I'm accepted and approved, therefore I do. That's acceptance precedes obedience. Legalism focuses on behavior. Grace focuses on the heart. Legalism leads to arrogance, pride, and self-righteousness. Grace though, grace leads to humility. Legalism sees only the person's sin. Grace sees the person's story. This is embracing the gospel. This is swimming in murky waters because it's tough to do this. It's so hard to do this. We gotta declare war on legalism because it's poison. We need to accept people right where they are. It's, it's, that, that addict who comes in on a weekend service and she shows up here and she is tweaking badly and she's causing a huge disturbance. And what I wanna do immediately is say, get her out of here. She's causing a disturbance. It's gonna interrupt the live stream, blah, blah, blah. And God's like, dude, seriously, you're a pastor and you're saying that? You need to bring her in and do what you can to point her to me and to help her. It's that gay couple that walks through the front doors of our church and, and, and they just wanna know Jesus and they want to have a community. But we say, no, 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 stop right there. You gotta get rid of your gayness, whatever that means, before you can, can be accepted here. No, 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 th th that's not in the gospel. It's a guy named Brian, not Brian Mingle. He's a homeless guy who comes here uh, quite frequently. Brian, he's just, he's going through a lot. And I remember last year, uh, Brian came here and he, he, he crashed out in the, the back row of the auditorium. I mean, he was out, uh, just laying, laying on all the chairs, sound asleep. And I had several people come up and say, Pastor, what are you gonna do about Brian or about this guy? They didn't even know his name. I said, what do you mean, what am I gonna do? Well, he's asleep in the auditorium. I'm like, okay, hello. I, I've, I've preached from this platform so many times and I look out into the auditorium and a lot of people are asleep. Let, let he with a free hand cast that first stone. Brian was having a really hard time and he just needed a safe place to be. And he considers Cornwall Church his church. Pastor Jeff and I have walked with him through a lot of stuff and he slept. We gotta accept him. We need to accept everyone because it's all about a wide table. It's all about a wide table. It's about us choosing to live in the mess and beauty of a wide table. We have to choose to live in the mess and beauty of a wide table. It's a challenge not only for, uh, for you, it's a challenge for me. God placed it on my heart that this would be one of the most powerful sermons I've ever preached, not to you, but to myself. Because I struggle. I struggle with that pride. I, I, I struggle with that arrogance, that self-righteousness, with that legalism. Folks, here's what this means for us. As a church, we stand on God's word and we will not water his word down. But we will accept everyone who comes through these doors and we will love dearly because Jesus did that. We give time, God time and we allow the Holy Spirit to do the convicting. Every person is accepted. Every person is loved. Every person is, is respected and it's hard. It's so hard. We all have stories. So I wanna, in this last couple of minutes, because you might be going, holy snap, Kip, we still have six 
fill in the blanks. Are you pulling a Bob, Bob Marvel here? <laughs> Joking, Bob. Um, as I wrap up today, I wanna, I wanna talk about how six ways that we can live in the mess and beauty of a wide table. These fill in the blanks aren't mine. I I stole them from Dr. Preston Sprinkle and a guy named Bill Henson, Uh, maybe from Brian Lortz too. He may have a couple of these in here. Anyway, they're not mine, but we're gonna go through these fast. You guys ready? Here we go, here we go. How do you live in the mess and beauty of a wide table? Number one, embrace the tension. Embrace the tension. Understand that people are gonna believe differently than you. They're gonna look differently than you. They're gonna have lifestyles differently than you. And you need to embrace the tension of that and offer your friendship. Be available, sit in their experience. That's number one. Number two, be humble. Be humble as Jesus was humble. Understand that it's a level playing field in front of that cross. In front of the cross, it's a level playing field. We're all the same. We are all broken with sin in our lives. None of us is greater than the other. It's a level playing field at the foot of the cross. Let's not vilify the sins we're least likely to commit. Number three, lead with love. Lead with love, not your theology. Uh, I stole this directly from Preston. Uh, he's a great guy and, and, and who has really impacted me in a lot of different ways. Uh, Preston, uh, he always says this, lead with love, not your theology. If you're leading with your theology, you're wrong. Here's what he's not saying. Divorce love from theology. No, he's just saying don't lead with it. Lead with love. Give God room to work and it takes time. Number four, Listen to the other person's story. Listen to other people's story. We each have a story and we each matter in God's eyes. Listen to their story, get to know them. Once you're curious and get to know them, all of a sudden you can start reaching out and giving them grace because we all have stuff in our lives. Number five, maintain the relationship. Maintain the relationship without trying to fix the other person. People fixers of the world unite. Guys, if you're trying to fix someone, that's way above your and my pay grade because only Jesus through the Holy Spirit can fix anyone. You maintain that relationship. Number six, last but not least, share your story. Share your story as you point them to the greatest story, Jesus. This is where I was before I met Jesus. And Jesus came into my life. I still have jacked upness in my life, but here's what his grace does. And here how he's transforming my heart because he accepted me right where he was. He wants to take me to do something even greater because that's what Jesus does. As I said, embracing the gospel, it's messy, it's tough, it's swimming in murky waters, and it's exactly what God called you and me to do. One last thing, back to Onesimus. By all accounts, Onesimus shows up in the, in the, book, in the letter to, to the Colossian church because Onesimus, remember, he's received by Paul, he's accepted, and then he receives Jesus, God works on his heart, he's obedient, he repents because he has to go back and pay back money to Philemon. He's, he's got a letter in his hand to Philemon, then he's got another letter in his hand, and that becomes the book of Colossians in your Bible. It was a letter to the Colossian church. He's not mentioned in scripture after that. What's interesting about this is history shows that 50 years after that, in this town of Antioch, there's a leader of a church there named Ignatius, Ignatius of Antioch, and he writes a letter to the bishop of the church of Ephesus, the head of the church of Ephesus. And guess what that guy's name is? Onesimus. He uses words, Ignatius uses words such as, uh, Onesimus, you're profitable in Christ It's the same word Paul would use in verse 11. Could it be, could it be 
that this runaway slave with a bunch of junk in his life was accepted and approved right where he was. Then he became obedient and he was, he was released. Philemon did even more than what Paul was asking and he released him and he became the head of the church in Ephesus, one of the biggest churches in that region, one of the, the most powerful churches in the early church movement. All because Paul embraced option number three, embrace the gospel, swim in murky waters. It's messy, it's difficult. It's what God calls you and me to do as Christ followers and us to do as a church. Skagit, gonna turn you guys over to Pastor Brian. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And Pastor Brian, shout out to you for all the work you did at Refuge and our Christmas Eve services. We love you and appreciate you and using your gifts and talents so much. Here in Bellingham, watching online, I just wanna close us in prayer today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you so much for this letter to Philemon. And God, we, we just wanna repent of our legalism. We, we wanna repent of those times when we've said, no, you can't come in here because you don't have your stuff right. That's not the gospel. God, meet us where we are. This week, help us embrace that wide table. Help us walk in the mess and beauty of a wide table. Give us courage because it takes courage. God, help us be kind, not nice, but kind. As we step into the new year, let us resolve to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love each other like we want to be loved and understand that acceptance comes before obedience, but God, that we need to be obedient. Help us stand on your word and love greatly. Don't ever let us divorce those two important things. Truth and love, they have to go together. We ask this in the holy, holy, precious name of Jesus. All God's people said, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he shower you with grace, 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 and give you great peace as you step into this new year. Happy new year to you folks. Thanks a lot.